0: Welcome back to the Respiratory Cram Podcast. My name is Damon. This is episode two. And in this episode, we're gonna start a series of podcasts that will cover the topic of airway management. And airway management is a really broad, deep topic with lots to learn. Um, fortunately, we've, got, uh, we've gotten Chuck Mulholland to agree to come back and do some more lectures for us. Chuck has a tremendous amount of uh, experience as both a respiratory therapist and as an educator and so i think you're going to get a, a lot of value uh, he provides a lot of good anecdotes and stories and valuable information about airway management and um, so i also wanted to let you know that we do have a, uh, a link in the website and the show notes actually that uh, for people if they want to become a patron or a patron of the show they can go ahead and for a small monthly fee um, they can become a patron, and for that, you will get uh, unpublished uh, podcast lectures, and we are also developing some course content that will be uh, you will have access to as well. So, without further ado, uh, let's go ahead and jump into the uh, the first airway management module. And uh, here's Chuck.
1: Hi, it's your old respiratory care buddy, Chuck Mulholland, and I've decided to try another one of these podcast thingies for your listening enjoyment. Um, I just recently did a lecture on artificial airways, um, simple airways like pharyngeal airways, and some basic things about uh, airway management, and it's a pretty big module I lectured on. I think it had over 70 PowerPoint slides, and it took me several days to get through it all, but I think I'd like to break it up into some basic uh, sections, maybe three, and maybe at the beginning um, and, and on this module, just focus on what I call simple airway maneuvers and the use of pharyngeal airways. Then after that, if that goes well, maybe we'll, I'll record another lecture about uh, alternative airways such as combo tubes, laryngeal mask airways, and other supraglottic examples, and then lastly if things go well i'll finish it with actual uh, tracheal airways namely endotracheal tubes and tracheostomy tubes Um, so i'll kind of use the powerpoints i did for my lecture and modify it a little bit as we go Um, basically maintaining an airway for patients is one of if not the most important role respiratory therapists can provide and that can range from the very simplest most basic maneuvers like making sure the patient's position properly for example for shorter breath you know getting the them to set up upright to see if they can tolerate it assuming they can maintain their own airway and keep it open and patent naturally or if they do lose consciousness or we find them not very responsive maybe putting them in a head tilt chin lift position and opening their way might be all we have to do But, you know, I guess this lecture kind of takes things a little bit further. What if you do the um, ABCs, Airway Breathing Circulation, which is what American Heart used to emphasize back when I was a young therapist. I know they've changed it now, and it's CAB, focus on compressions first, then airway and breathing later. But I guess as a respiratory therapist, since our focus is on the airway, really nothing else matters if we cannot open and establish and maintain an open airway for our patient so again we I, this part of the lecture is going to focus on the simplest techniques and then getting into invasive techniques but with the simplest types of airways na- namely the pharyngeal airways um, and we'll talk about those but this module later like I said when i present this to my students it starts from basic all the way up to the advanced like Clear up to an emergency bedside tracheostomy, so that'll be for the third section if we do that that way. Um, when I did my lecture, one thing that an old older textbook we used to use for our class, and we've kind of went away from it and we switched, but I think it's still worth uh, pointing out. Uh, airways can be classified. Now, yeah, we're talking. If we do place an airway into a patient they're all artificial airways you know they all are man-made and they're plastic or whatever made in a factory somewhere but one of the texts we used to use uh, made a big differentiation between what we would term simple airways versus artificial airways. Simple airways were just classified as airways that are really just meant to get the tongue out of the way because the tongue is the most common form and cause of airway obstruction So, by simple airways we're namely talking about pharyngeal airways the nasal pharyngeal airways or nasal trumpets and oral airways they are simple in their design they're just pieces of plastic or rubber meant to get down into the pharynx and get the tongue lifted up off the posterior pharyngeal wall and that's really it artificial airways on the other hand you know again this is an older way to classify things are any airways that you can actually hook a, a manual resuscitation bag or ventilator directly to and ventilate a patient through those so that would be tracheostomy tubes uh, combo tubes laryngeal mask airways uh, endotracheal tubes that kind of thing so it's maybe a little older way to classify and um, categorize airways but i still think it's worth pointing out simple airways you don't ventilate through but they can make ventilation more effective Artificial airways are those that can be directly connected to some kind of breathing device. So the two specific simple airways I wanted to talk about are the nasal pharyngeal airways. I was told they're called nasal trumpets. I think most of the, I, I'm lecturing from Ohio, so wherever you may be listening, maybe they call them NP tubes, or just they call them nasal pharyngeal airways. But when I was taught. Um, we just call them trumpets, nasal trumpets. And then the other type of simple airway are oral pharyngeal airways. Again, these simple airways are also classified as pharyngeal airways because they both simply go down into the pharynx and they don't go deeper than that and are really there just to get the tongue out of the way. So really, when... I talked about this module and i guess i'll keep it in this section as well there's really four main indications for any of the airways whether we're talking simple or the more advanced artificial ones that we can ventilate directly through uh, the first indication would be to relieve airway obstruction and again usually the tongue is the most common cause of airway blockage or obstruction people you know namely patients lose consciousness they lose muscle tone on their upper airways and their tongue starts flopping around And you'll know it when you see it and hear it. They sound like they're snoring, they're not alert, they're not awake. You really question if they're moving much air beyond that obstruction. So you got to get the tongue out of the way. So as far as what airways fit that bill, both simple and artificial airways should do that. They should relieve airway obstruction, namely getting the tongue out of the way. The second indication for any of these airways is to facilitate removal secretions, aka make suctioning easier. So, simple airways can do that. The oral pharyngeal airways, maybe not so much, but I have seen people take 14 French catheters and maybe go down the middle channel of a Gaddell oral airway, and we'll talk about those in a few minutes. It's not really meant for you to suction through, but I have seen it done, and it does make it effective because you can reach down deep into the pharynx and remove secretions that way but the simple airway that really helps make suctioning easier is nasal trumpets it gives you a nice clear path through the uh nares and without you damaging nasal mucosa or rupturing or ravaging the turbinates or concha in the nose um, and it's less traumatic for the patient so if you got someone that needs frequent nasal tracheal suctioning nasal trumpets really make that easier and we're really going to make it better tolerated for the patient um, and our, the more advanced artificial airways that can, we, we can ventilate through definitely make such an easier because you're right in the trachea for you know, at least tracheostomy tubes and endotracheal tubes give you a direct route down there. And a third indication, protect lower airways from aspiration. Now obviously the pharyngeal airways can't do that because they do not have cuffs. They're just simply there to get the tongue out of the way. They have no cuff to inflate, to seal off your trachea, and protect the lower airways from patients aspirating vomit or pharyngeal secretions. So only artificial airways with the cuffs can do a good job of protecting lower airways. And then the last but not least, facilitate application of positive pressure ventilation, which is just a fancy way of, hey, can we ventilate directly through that airway? only artificial airways can do that we have no adapters or any pieces or parts on the pharyngeal airways that will allow us to directly ventilate through those devices now they can make ventilation more effective by getting the tongue out off the off the posterior pharyngeal wall but again you can't directly ventilate through them you can use a bag valve mask with those devices in place and maybe they make it a little more effective but you can't have that you know universal adapter that allows you to ventilate through artificial airways. We'll talk about those in the, you know, a later section. So a big thing you gotta do when we're talking about airways is how do you select and establish an airway with your patients? Well, first you gotta recognize when your patient is having a, a hard time or trouble maintaining their own airway. So you always go back to signs and symptoms of what your patients are showing you. Are they snoring? Do they have a decreased level of consciousness? Are you hearing audible secretions, you know, bubbling and gurgling around in their upper airway? Uh, do you hear strider, stridor, that high pitched inspiratory kind of squeak wee sound from the trachea and upper airways, sign of airway obstruction, definitely concerning. Are they showing you that they are just having an increased work of breathing? Do you see, you know, substernal retractions, intercostal retractions? Do you see uh, asynchronous movement between their abdomen and chest or paradoxical breathing? Um, Those are all things that are showing you that your patient's struggling and the reason they're struggling might be because they're not maintaining their own airway enough. Uh, You might have someone that's in a comatose state and they're breathing fine. They're not showing you signs of respiratory distress, but because of head trauma or a stroke or something like that, they have a big time loss of a gag reflex. Now even though they're not showing signs of respiratory distress, you don't just walk away from those patients. If they show you they have no gag reflex and they don't, re, you know, react to you trying to suction them or anything, they need their airway protected. You cannot assume that they will cough like when you're gone and know what to do with those secretions if they cough anything up or if they vomit, you know, are they even a alert enough to manage that and roll to the side and and spit it out or anything. So if they're in a comatose state, they're not. So even though they're not showing you signs of respiratory distress yet, the fact that they have such a depressed or absent gag reflex is concerning and they're going to need an airway for um, airway protection. Um, So basically, I guess it's like anything in respiratory therapy, think horse before zebra. So start simple before you get too exotic and go right to the big guns. Uh, so again, the first thing you might want to try as a student or a new, you know, therapist or anybody out in the clinical setting is check the patient's position. You know, are they set, seated or positioned in a way that they can maintain an open airway? Maybe you just need to, especially for infants. Um, you've got the short little fat necks and double chins, and their chubby little babies. Sometimes they just need their head an airway put in more of like a neutral or sniffing position maybe you just put a towel roll underneath their shoulder blades to kind of get their shoulders elevated and it's not such a violent not that it's violent but it, not such an exaggerated head tilt chin lift like you do with adults and babies don't need that especially newborns and preemies um i'll never forget i ex we extubated a baby how oh, years ago when i was at work and i worked in an icu that took kids and adults both and adults more so than babies so everybody got a little you know more nervous when we had uh infants up there as a smaller hospital um with a you know again an icu that talked several different kinds of patients so i had a baby that was post-op basically uh doctor said go ahead next to babe but he was concerned that the baby would not be ready yet so it's kind of a sink or swim kind of mentality maybe Uh, the nurse was given Narcan to get all the narcotics and influence of narcotics off the off board of the baby, or at least, you know, speed that process up. So they'd wake up more. He's just worried about uh, would the baby maintain their own airway well enough on their own after we exhumated. So he was going to stay in the room. He wanted reintubation equipment there. Again, this was over a decade ago. So maybe things have changed a little bit. This was kind of an old school pediatrician on the case, but, um, I'll never forget, you know, I'm so nervous and making sure all my reintubation stuff there so we extubated the baby. Of course the baby had a little bit of strider, was not as awake as we thought they would be. So, you know, I'm thinking zebra before horse and I'm getting my reintubation equipment ready and checking my ambu bags and making sure I got the pressure manometers all ready. And he looked at me and said he literally said, "Chuck, let's think horse before zebra." I don't like the way that baby's positioned. Let's get a towel roll under the shoulders, get him more in that neutral sniffing position and see if that helps. And I'll never forget what a huge difference that made. As soon as we put that baby in that position, the upper airway noise, strider, ronchi noises went away. Sats immediately rose up to like 98 and above percent. So it's just, you know, think and simple first. Get the baby, in this case, as a baby, an infant, in the proper position. But with adults, you might need to do something a little more you know, advanced. So more of a pronounced head tilt, chin lift is what you usually need to do with adults to open up their airway. So maybe you find someone responsive. you just do that, and now the snoring stops. Maybe they have enough muscle tone that once you get their airway open decently enough, they can maintain it on their own. If you suspect cervical neck fractures or trauma, you obviously don't wanna do a big head tilt, chin lift on them. You're gonna to have to do it more of a jaw thrust maneuver. And this is all just basic review of BLS kind of stuff, but I, I think it's worth mentioning that you don't forget these basic things. Um, if they would start to happen to vomit or retch like they're going to, good idea to roll them on their side, have suction equipment, namely a Yankauer, to suction out their oral cavity. Um, log roll them so you again if there's any trauma to the head or neck you don't want to twist their head or anything like that so have someone help you kind of log, log roll them quickly so you can use gravity to hopefully prevent some aspiration but have suction available so you can get out as much as you can if they would happen to try to suck in and try to aspirate some of it um, and even though american heart association bls does not emphasize the look listen and feel and it's not ABCs anymore, it's CAB. I still think that is the role of a therapist. So so, if it's not you, if someone else is checking the carotid pulse, calling for a code blue, yelling for help, assessing responsiveness and all that, I don't think there's anything wrong with you as a therapist going in there and doing a head tilt, chin lift on them. And within five seconds, you should be able to look, listen and feel for breathing. So you're looking for chest rise, listening with your ear at the nose and mouth for um, signs of ventilation. Same way once you do a jaw thrust, if you suspect maybe they broke their neck or something like that, don't do a head tilt chin lift. But once you do the jaw thrust, maybe they can breathe now, maybe they can't. Um, So getting back to the types of pharyngeal or simple airways, let's start with the oral pharyngeal airways first. Um, Some people, it's kind of a older term, call these bite blocks because once you put these in, Patients really cannot bite down. So, if you have someone orally intubated and you don't have like a commercially available bite block that fits on the endotracheal tube itself, in a pinch, you can put an oral pharyngeal airway in and think about it. When they bite down, they're going to be biting down on the hard plastic of the oral pharyngeal airway before they would bite hard enough to reach the tube. So, some people call these bite blocks, but oral pharyngeal airway is more descriptive of what they are um there's two main types and you guys have probably talked about this um berman and Goodell now in my life in my illustrious career i've never had a doctor yell at me and say quick i need a stat berman oral airway or a stat goodell they just say hey pop an oral airway in let's get the tongue out of the way let's see if we can ventilate them better before we intubate them you know to get the tongue out of the way um now having said that so don't email or call me or well I guess I won't give you my contact information so you can't do that anyway but um, if you would happen to have a doctor that gets picky you do need to know the difference between the two again in my career I mean, it's more of a teaching thing so a Berman oral airway is designed with the channels the air can be ventilated through along the side of you know the the whole length of the tube um, the Guedel oral airway has one central channel in the middle of the device, so a hole in the middle. So again, I I have suction with you know a 14 French or a 12 French suction catheter right through the hole in the Guedel oral airway because it does put you right down there, beyond the tongue, deep in the oral pharynx, um, getting down to right above the you know vocal cords, almost in the larynx, if you want to push it down deep enough, so you can get some. You know secretions out like that and that's kind of maybe an off-label use of it but it is possible to do that so the main purpose of either type of oral airway is it really is just meant to get down and get the tongue up off the posterior pharyngeal wall to relieve that as a cause of airway obstruction Now, the big caveat or warning for this is only use these in unconscious patients because if your patient has any kind of gag reflex at all, once you put these oral airways in, they will immediately start to gag, retch, possibly vomit if they have a stomach full of contents right away. And if that happens, you're just gonna have to simply pull the airway out as quick as possible. Again, log roll them, suction them, make sure you're trying to get as much as you can to prevent aspiration. As far as proper sizing um, and insertion techniques, there's basically three main techniques that you can use to insert these, and really one way to size it. You just take these and put these along the side of the patient's face. Again, they're they're unconscious or out of it. They're not gonna even know what you're doing. You should always tell the patient what you're doing in case they are hearing something that you're saying. I guess we, we never know how much they can hear but you can explain what's going on to them just as a matter of good practice but laid along the side of the patient's face and you want it to reach from the opening of their mouth and then the tip should reach down to the angle of their jaw which if you followed upwards should be about even with the tragus of their ear that's the little sticky out thingy I don't know how (laughs) else to call it of the ear it's not the ear lobe it's a little part that's a little higher up that sticks out kind of 90 degree angle from your head um and this it's more art than science i mean you can do it that way some people say yeah, yeah you go from the teeth to the angle of jaw or you got to make sure the flange of the airway which makes sense the flange should be outside of the mouth just right there so they can't suck this whole thing down in the airway and obstruct it even worse so again the burman and gadel know the differences between those two it's more of a teaching point um berman's are a little i mean they're harder along the whole length some people like goodell airways because where a patient might bite into it's actually a little bit softer plastic than the rest of the body is so less of a chance that they might bite so hard knock their own teeth out never seen it happen but i suppose it's possible so that's as far as the sizing that's it and it really, usually in kind of a hurry when you put this in. So again, I think it's more art than science. You don't have to spend 10 minutes trying to size these and get them exactly perfect. Some hospitals you work at might have limited options. Maybe they only carry one style of Berman or a Goodell. And maybe they only have two or maybe only just three sizes to choose from i've seen a lot of places you know and it's usually for cost saving okay you're an adult here's two adult sized airways and they might be sized by a millimeter in length so like 70 80 90 millimeters in length or others i've seen different brands just have a number and printed on the flange so a three size three is smaller in length and a size five I, I don't think those numbers mean much to me I don't think the bottom line is you. you still got to size it the way I just talked about as quick as you can try to find one that fits as close as that description as you can and then the you don't need to use any kind of water uh, soluble lubricant or anything like that as far as techniques to pop it in if you have a tongue depressor or some people call them tongue blades available You can reach in and without doing any twisting or anything fancy, just lift the tongue up off the pharyngeal wall and pop the oropharyngeal airway in without twisting or to do anything fancy. And when it's in place, it should rest. So the flange, is kind of outside their teeth so they can't aspirate or suck the airway down any deeper and you're done. Most people don't have tongue blades readily available or or tongue depressors whatever you want to call them. And you don't want to delay things by saying, you know, quick, I need a stat tongue depressor. People are going to look at you weird. So you can twist them. You can come from the side of the mouth and you put it in sideways and then twist it 90 degrees. So it's anatomically reaching down and scooping up the tongue when it's in its final resting position or you can do what i call it's the full twist the 180 degree twist so you pop it into the patient's mouth upside down and about halfway down because of the way it's rubbing against a hard palate you'll feel like a change in resistance that's when you twist it And advance it the rest of the way so you twist it a full 180 degrees so again you insert it completely upside down when you're about halfway down you do a full twist and so it should be resting in the proper anatomical position these things look like basically I guess kind of crude c-shaped devices so you want the tongue to be kind of scooped up within that c-shape so that's how it needs to be resting when you got it in proper position which makes sense i just had a student last week we were playing around with these in lab and she put it in upside down she started that way but when she got done putting it in she didn't do the twist and she knew right away she's like this is feeling really weird to put in and she got done said okay is that right and i said no think about it is that going to get the tongue out of the way or probably make things worse and she's oh yeah it's not going to help because the c-shaped little groove there didn't lift the tongue up you just probably made things worse and probably traumatized their hard palate by scraping it the way you did so again it's okay to do that on mannequins I'm sure she'll never forget that and she'll know okay I need to do the twist either a full 180 or a 90 degree turn if you come in from the side of the mouth rather than directly into it um, and there's all shapes and sizes that make oral airways from that can fit you know, newborns all the way up to old geezers again I don't pay as much attention to the millimeter markings as length or the numbers if that's what the brand comes in because to me the bottom line is you still have to at least quickly size them the way i described whether it's berman or goodell you at least got to go through the steps of uh getting that and again it's more art than science now if you put too small of one in you know maybe your patient can actually aspirate it partially or can disrupt their airway if they open their mouth wider and they suck that down that'd be terrible But the big thing is if it's too small and you don't size it properly, it's not going to do what it's supposed to do, namely it won't get the tongue out of the way. It needs to be long enough to go down and actually reach behind the tongue and lift it up off your pharyngeal wall. Bad things that can happen if it's too big as you can do more damage to the mucosa and palate as you're putting it in there and scraping tissues. And if it's too big, you can actually obstruct the epiglottis from moving the way it should. So that's definitely longer than what it should. It's just meant to go down and get behind the tongue. It's not meant to reach clear up to your larynx and, you know, mess start messing around and touching your epiglottis. So if they do have a gag reflux at all, if you've got a properly sized one, maybe they are not that bad. But if you've got one that's way too big, you're definitely going to make them gag and vomit and, and have problems and cause a bunch of distress if you're tickling their epiglottis or you know that's another risk of possibly damaging it um, the other type of pharyngeal airway or simple airway are nasal trumpets or NP tubes nasal pharyngeal tubes whatever you want to call them these are made mostly out of soft rubber or silicone or polyvinyl chloride most commonly again the main purpose is they do reach down and get the tongue up off the back of the pharyngeal wall maybe not quite as good at doing that as the hard plastic oral airways just because of the rubber and maybe they're not stiff enough to do that as effectively, but they do do a decent job in, in a pinch. What the most common reason why you'd maybe put a nasal trumpet in is you have a patient that you predict is going to need frequent nasal tracheal suctioning. So to save them trauma to the nose and turbinates and up airway away from you jamming hard plastic suction catheters down their nose every couple hours, put a nasal trumpet in and life is good. Um, as far as uh, things to worry about with these, you should always lube these up with water soluble lube. Never use a petroleum-based lubricants because your body does not absorb that stuff so all that lube would stay all gunked up and it can be toxic to some patients Their their mucosa doesn't like that um, So they might have a reaction but water-soluble lube is usually well tolerated by everybody because it's you know water-soluble I never heard of a patient being allergic to water. Um, that would not be good if they were um, wouldn't have a very good life um so, so again some things to worry about or keep in mind if they have fa- obvious facial or nasal trauma you should not be poking things up their nose because you might actually rupture sinuses and end up maybe getting up to the cranial cavity namely poking the brain i guess that's that would be you know terrible and um, so something you be need to worry about you have obvious bone fractures maybe things are not going to go the way you want if they've had a broken nose or deviated septum um, you might not be able to push the nasal trumpet down one nair, and the simple thing to do is just pull it out and lube it up again and try the other nair. You know, you want to push, push firmly, but not so hard that you're popping things through and causing false passages and, and massive trauma. And if they have uncontrolled you know, bleeding uh, problems and their blood's not coagulating properly, probably not a great idea to be poking nasal trumpets into them. I've seen patients bleed pretty bad from those, even ones that are... Size properly, in place properly. Um, some some hazards. If you and I've had this happen to me. This has been years ago. But if you put nasal trumpets in and kind of leave them in for way longer than what you should, they can actually adhere to the tissue, so they can literally get stuck. And this happened to me one, maybe twice in my career when I went to take one out of the patient, and it's like, okay, I didn't expect this. I didn't expect it to be hard to pull out. The only thing I figured out to do is to just try to get some water soluble lube and lube it up as much as you can access and kind of work it up and down until the lube is spreading into their nose and getting more of the tube coated. Then it comes out, but just be aware that you might have a pretty significant nosebleed. So the way to fix that, and a lot of hospitals do this, they have policies that say if you're going to put a nasal trumpet into somebody, maybe you need to take it out and give the patient a break every four hours or every four hours if you still think they need it take it out and put it in the other mirror so you're re-lubing it cleaning disinfecting it, and things like that to prevent a tissue adhesion to it so you know once you put these in like me i was found patients like that had them in for two or three days and no one had done anything about it um because we really didn't have a policy in writing that said what we should do now after it happened you know everybody flipped out and then we had more things in writing saying okay this is what you do so some that's a, one reason why some docs maybe don't like that um they don't trust us or if you do get the first and put one in they'll say hey at the end of the day you got to take it out because we don't want to keep those in for more than a shift or more than a day whatever um anytime you put anything into someone's nose whether it's an endotracheal tube nasal trumpet ng tube there's a huge chance that the patient's gonna get sinusitis just because you're blocking normal drainage from their sinuses. So again, that's a risk you take when you put these nasal trumpets in. These are big honking things that really do obstruct sinus drainage in that narrow. So they can cause some sinusitis. In the grand scheme of things, maybe that's low on the totem pole, but you know, if you, you, we're in the business, we don't like to cause infections. And when you, you put something in, knowing that there's a high chance of your patient getting one, that's when doctors maybe get a little iffy on what, whether the ends justify the means and whether it's worth it. And again, if you're maybe not using enough lube or you're forcing things and getting a little too rough when you put these in, you can do some damage to their nasal mucosa, maybe lacerate the turbinates in their nose. And that's bad because that's the part of your nose that heats and humidifies everything as far as when you breathe in through your nose and the air. So that can last, you know, affect them the rest of their life. As far as insertion technique, like I said, just lube it up with water soluble lube. Personally, I like to put my patients up in more of a semi Fowler's position. Maybe do a little bit of a head tilt, chin lift, or a sniffing position to kind of get their nose up in there a little bit more. Then once you got it lubed up, maybe about the bottom, you know, distal third of the tube, you kind of go upwards and you follow the normal entrance to the nares. But as soon as I got it what I think is reaching the turbinates you will meet a little bit of resistance that's when I change my aim and really push it and aim down and towards the septum as I twist it to get it through those turbinates I've never seen that not work I've seen some patients where you don't have to do much twisting but in my experience you follow the normal curvature like kind of so you're kind of aiming upwards as you follow the the floor of the nose. But when you start hitting turbinates, if you don't change your angle, you're just gonna be more likely that you're gonna ram this up into the sinuses or someplace that doesn't need to go. So kind of follow the natural curve upwards. When you start to meet a little resistance, that's usually the turbinates. That's when I change my aim and really kind of, not violently, but really make a big change in my directional push and aim down so I kind of get up on top of it and push it down towards their feet and aim it towards the middle as I twist. And you've got it lubed up so it should pop through there. Again, if I meet too much resistance, I don't want to hurt the patient. Maybe the patient had a broken nose or deviated septum that's not documented. And then just try the other nair. Um, so that's really, it's. I guess my other clue or tip for you is once you decide to put these airways in, do it don't be a wimp i've showed my patients some videos i found online and youtube and things of uh, students emt students respiratory students putting nasal trumpets in volunteers including their instructor and I always tell my students don't get excited because i'm never going <laughs> to volunteer for that but the biggest problem i see is they take way too long to do it and it's, it's understandable because they're nervous they're afraid they're going to hurt the patient especially since they're awake and alert And definitely when it's an instructor, you don't want to give your instructor a bloody nose. Maybe they'll give you an F for the semester or something in revenge. Hopefully not, but you never know. Um, and so that's what I tell my students. Once you decide to do it, do it. Use the proper technique. Don't be a wimp. You know, use, uh, firm pressure, but not, you know, pushing as hard as you can or anything to pop these things in. And you, it should be popped in within a few seconds. It's not. There shouldn't be a really hard airway to place and again in my opinion if you take too long and you're trying to be too gentle you're making it a lot worse on the patient especially if they're awake and alert and have a very active gag reflex they feel everything you're going to do um, one video showed the the volunteer just said go ahead push it do it you know quit messing around and get it in there um so some of these airways i th- you know, I've worked at hospitals and sent students to hospitals where nasal trumpets are used a lot. Others, I just talked to one and said, I don't think we have these stocked anymore at all in our hospital, which was kind of shocking to me. But I said, yeah, we haven't seen those in years because I just put a call out to my clinical sites when I realized we were getting low on nasal trumpets in the lab and just said, hey, do you guys got any expired ones or any ones you could spare? I really want the students to get more hands-on experience with them and the ones I have have all the french sizes eroded off because they've been out of the package for years and used so much i just want a new one so the patients could see how they're sized and what the package looks like and again the one hospital said we don't even have those and that's kind of shocking so it depends on where you work also it depends on how aggressive you want to be if you are a therapist that is not aggressive with nasal tracheal suctioning maybe your hospital kind of frowns on that you might not even have these. On, on the other hand, if you're really into this and you want to be aggressive and really help your patient and get some good pulmonary toilet done, um, you don't have to use nasal trumpets when you nasally suction patients. You definitely need to if, it's, if you think they're going to need frequent suctioning. It's the best airway to place if they're awake and alert at all and have a, you know, you don't have to intubate or trick someone just because you, you think they need suction. But even if you think you're just going to suction them once or twice, if you think they're if you're worried about causing trauma, it's probably a good idea to pop a nasal trumpet in first, just to protect their mucosa and give you a more direct, easier route to get the tube down where you uh hope to get it into the trachea. It's still not a one hundred percent guaranteed if they um still have an active gag reflex, they can divert it, and then maybe their epiglottis is kind of flopping around down there and shutting their way and when they feel the tube coming down too but um, you do the best you can, so hopefully this was you found this lecture uh, worthwhile the next little module i want to record we'll get into the more advanced airways and then we'll end up lastly with the tracheal airway so thanks for listening and have a great day see ya